The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy Jordan Cooper. You probably know him better as at BlenderHD. He is the author of the audiobook Theory of DFS. He came on the show back in October and we talked about, um, you know, just a lot of the things people get wrong about DFS, how they can improve their games, how they can play the game to be more profitable. And I thought with NBA season coming up, the NFL season winding to a close, it would be um, you know, a great opportunity for us to revisit some of those lessons and then apply them specifically to NBA DFS and just kind of talk about, again, more of the theory of DFS and how to improve our games, how to consistently put out good expected value lineups. Um, if you want to buy the audiobook, you can find a link to it down in the description for the show and get 10% off using the promo code TAKECAST. If you want to support this program, uh, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash TAKECAST. You get bonus episodes of the show and you can also just you know continue uh have us uh you know wanting to make these episodes or you can just support us by leaving a rating or review on itunes apple uh wherever you listen to podcasts so very useful very helpful let's go ahead and get into the show all right everyone welcoming blender jordan cooper back to the show we did this show back in october and uh you know i mean i i found that episode to be pretty helpful uh overall i found your your book to be pretty helpful, which you can get 10% off of if you use the promo code TakeCast that's in the show notes here. Um, it's been the best gambling DFS uh, betting. This is the best year of my life in terms of um, making money. And uh, I, I do think, honestly, probably that show with you did have a little bit to do with it. So, you know, thanks for that. Well, I mean, I binked 50K right after doing the show. So I'm, I'm hoping for this coming Sunday that uh, I get a little bit of the take cast bump in my DFS play. Yeah. Well, uh, let's hope so. So the, my main reason for wanting to have you on the show is when we, we talked back in October, it was a lot about correlation and you know what I got to say, I think even bad DFS players understand correlation in NFL. Like I, I really do think that even people who are not long-term profitable players are able to generate correlated lineups even honestly like you know those leverage polls that you put out like I even think that bad players are able to kind of figure out like oh if Dalvin Cook is going to be 40 percent then Adam Thielen is good leverage off of him or the opposing you really, you really think so I, I put out those leverage polls no no I've come to the conclusion based on putting out those polls 
and I've stopped doing it. Some I had to I had to make it so easy. Like I had to like okay, let me let me, I, I want to make a little bit of an intellectual challenge where you have to go well this guy's this price and that guy and oh okay that's the better leverage play. But then I just had to make it because people were getting the answers wrong so much that I would see the replies back. And I'm like, I don't think people misunderstand what leverage is. I think that people are very, very, I mean, just at least the people that follow me or respond back, like don't gauge ownership well enough. Because a lot of the replies I would get back, I would, I would basically list four players. They would be at the same position in the same price range. And one would be like the receiver on the, the team with the, the, the running back that's going to be 40% owned. So it's like, yeah, that, that's obviously leverage play. But then people would, would come back and go, oh, it's definitely Tyler Boyd because Giovanni Bernard's going to be 30% owned. I'm like, what world is he going to be 30% owned? He's going to be like 5 to 7% owned. Like he's, and then I would constantly get those kind of replies of like, no, well, uh, this guy's going to be owned. So Robbie Anderson's going to be owned. So I'm going to play Mike Davis. I'm like, how old do you think Robbie Anderson's going to be? 10% owned? Like, it almost feels like maybe they get le- what leverage is, but yeah. I don't know what they're doing to identify the, quote, best plays at the position, the best projected plays, which also turn out to be the most owned plays, and that's what you're leveraging on. So, like, I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I kind of disagree to some extent because I do get a ton of replies of people that, like, you, you don't – are you still – good enough to identify who the best plays are that you could leverage on. Well, okay. So maybe, maybe leverage is still uh, like people are, are working on it, but I, I do think that the correlation stuff is just sort of gospel in DFS at this point that like, um, like I saw, I saw last week, Colin Drew told me that 50% of Derek Carr Waller teams um, had at least one New York jet in them in the Millie maker last week. Like, I think that this is now, um, like common accepted practice and is um, offers less of an edge certainly than it would have last season. I think that is, that is my take. Well, it's still not done often enough. I mean, we say that about baseball. I mean, when you play MLB DFS, it's like, who's not making on DraftKings like five X type lineups on, on large slates. And yet you could still download the CSV. And if you run a SIM, it's still not, it's still not enough. I mean, it's still people ask, Oh, now that everyone's stacking, I'm like, dude, have you taken a look at these contests? Not everyone's stacking. And, and I'm talking primarily in these large field, low stakes, you know, the, the milli, the, the play action, you know, those, those yeah. level. I'm not talking about the 333 Wildcat. I'm not talking about single entry, three-figure, four-figure things because it's primarily sharp players. But there's so much dead money in – in the large field GPPs where like, it seems like all, all who doesn't stack in football, who doesn't stack in baseball, who doesn't look for uh, avoid negative correlations in NBA DFS. It's like, well, download, download the CSV and you'll, you'll find onesies and twosies and that'll make up like 40% of the contest. And like, there's, there's still an edge there because it's still not to the point in which we have to think game theory wise the other way of like, well, now everyone does it. Now uh, there's a benefit of me not doing it. Like, we're, we're not even close to that point. Um, I, so, yeah, I definitely, so I definitely agree with you on that. I think the idea that there isn't a, a benefit to doing it is wrong. Um, I just, I think that, it, you know, obviously because 
uh, well, and also we're at this point of the NFL season where there's like real survivorship bias, right? Like if you're still playing GPPs in week 13, in week 14, uh, the playoffs, whatever, like to a meaningful degree, like not just like one team, but like, you know, you're, you're getting a hundred dollars, $200, whatever. Like you probably have had some success. You probably have had, you know, one or two decent results to, you know, buoy your season. So basically the, the point here is that I, I do think that correlation is discussed enough on tout shows and even amongst players themselves that it's like, um, Certainly, I, you know, I do still think it is kind of like, you know, the magic key to building positive value teams or whatever, but it's like not some secret. I do think, though, in NBA, it just is, it's harder, right? Figuring out correlations in NBA is harder and not as evident, like, just because there is not the example of Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson in the NBA, right? Like that, that doesn't exist where you get the event points together to such a degree that these guys are going to have insane correlations, or maybe you think I'm wrong. Well, the, the correlations in NBA are weaker. It's not that they don't exist. It's just that yeah. the value of them. A lot of people think in terms of correlation in, but in all sports as singular events. Now yeah. in, in things like NFL, a singular event such as a passing touchdown represents a larger portion of your score. So if you're the average NFL score of a DFS lineup is 150, a passing touchdown, a 20-yard passing touchdown is two points, is uh, eight points for the receiver, or it's nine points because you get the nine reception. Points. And then you get the one point for the passing yards and the four points for the passing touchdown. So we're talking about a total of 14 points or so, 15 points. That's 10% of your total score on that one play. In baseball – you know, you get one guy on base, another guy uh, knocks him in, and then there's a home run. And, like, the average score of baseball is, like, 150-ish in, in MLB DFS. So, like, a home run represents, like, 20%. You know, 18 20% it could be. That series of events in that one inning. In basketball, the, the event correlation is, like, an assist to a basket. A rebound to an assist to a three-pointer where the total event series only encapsulates in DFS, maybe at most seven points. You include a steal, maybe a steal to an assist to a basket, which is a three pointer. And, but the average DFS score in, in, in basketball is like 300, right? So 300, you're, you're an average DFS lineup on a normal, just whatever we average it out, maybe 300. So what does six points represent and one correlative event, like not nearly as much as it does in any other sport. But you have to think in terms of correlation in every sport to what uh, ceilings, players' ceilings are correlated to one another. So, like, we, we understand that in, uh, in NFL that there's no, there's no singular event correlation between two players of opposite teams, right? When you play that Carr-Waller-Mims lineup, like – Waller can't throw a touchdown to Mims and Carr can't like that. There's not going to be an event where Mims scores points as well as Carr and Waller, but there is a correlation between all of those players, 75th, 80th percentile outcomes, because when one team is doing well and scoring points, the other team's getting the ball back and they're scoring points. So like the, the total point distribution of the game, the pie, so that you have the, the low total games have, have smaller pies. And the, big, the total games have bigger pies. Now, obviously, the split of the pie is really dependent on how the team plays. We have teams like the Colts, who 
You know, they could have a big pie, but it's split, you know, 17 different ways. In basketball, you have teams that play 12-man rotations and only give, uh, you have the Grizzlies. No one wants to play more than 28 to 30 minutes. So you're sitting there going, going, yeah, they could score a lot of points, but the distribution is going to be all over the place. And then you could have low total teams. The Utah Jazz could run out an eight-man rotation with a low total. But yeah, their pie is smaller, but the pieces of the pie are much bigger. So in NBA, it's very similar to that example with Denzel Mims and Darren Waller of uh, you don't care necessarily about, oh, I need to get the point guard to the center because that's like a pick and roll play. It's like how, how many of those are going to happen in the game that like that's going to make a, a, a massive difference? The, yeah, the correlation is there, but you, you don't care about an extra six points in the grand scheme of 350. You care more about if one team's being efficient and the game's being played fast and the game's going to be playing close, that means one thing's more likely to happen, that more points are going to be. This, this pie is going to start getting bigger. And then whoever has the bigger pieces of that pie, they, they have more, uh, more ability to get uh, an 80th percentile outcome. And we have the added benefit in NBA, typically, that in close games, the starting players – or the players Play that more are, are typically in the closing rotation get more minutes. So, like, in, in games where the team's blowing them out by 25 points, you may not get the last seven minutes of, of, of a starting player's rotation. Or if there's obviously foul trouble. I mean, there's all different types of situations in a basketball game that will increase or decrease the minutes of certain players. So, maximizing on that. If, if you're going to play Giannis for a ceiling game, like Giannis tends to like they tend to monitor his minutes throughout the course of the regular season that you know he could still get there efficiency wise in 28 minutes and put up 65 fantasy points but you'd rather have it that he's playing 32 34 minutes so people will play Giannis in in a large field gpp for you know at at an efficient salary like not like cuz he's underpriced and then not play someone from the other side of the game because that would be correlative. It would be, if you're going to get a 34-minute Giannis game, you have to assume that the team that the Bucks are favored by 14 points. So people are like, I don't know, how do I play this? It's like, no, you should be playing someone from the other side of the game that's going to keep this competitive so you do get the ceiling outcome from someone like Giannis. Now, these correlations, they make sense intuitively, but they're still not that strong. But it's only because of that point distribution of like you still need to gauge you know, who's the guy on the other side of the game. You, you, there's no correlation to that. Like I'm, I typically target the the guys that are maybe slightly underpriced and more likely to to, to get scoring points because I need the I need I need guys that are going to get rebounds and assists, like kind of a across the board type of player. But it could it could be anyone. So that's why you can't just say, well, if Giannis does well and they're playing, uh, you know, the X team, they're playing the Wizards, like it's Bradley Beal. Well, now you're paying a lot. Now that now you had to get into salary problems. But could it be uh, Jordan McRae? It could, it could be any of those guys. So there's no way to just go player by player like that. But you can go team by team and say, just like you do in football, we're gonna. I'm gonna play a three plus one stack. I'm gonna take a quarterback, the two receivers, and then run it back with someone because the game will go back and forth. You could do the same thing in basketball. And if you notice, if you download large field uh, GPPs for uh, for NBA DFS, it's not nearly done anywhere close to the amount that even it's done in NFL or or MLB. And I think 
I think that's a mistake. So how are you implementing this stuff in your lineups? Like, are you doing, um, you know, well, like, so in the daily roto optimizer, we have key boosts, right? So like you could do something like, uh, in lineups with Andrew Wiggins, you do like a, probably with Wiggins, you'd actually want to negatively boost Steph Curry, but positively boost, you know, whoever the the best player on the opposing team is like, let's say it's against, let's say it's against the Wolves. So then we would, we would give a little boost to Carl Anthony Towns, or are you creating rules or, or probably um, as I have learned in the course of the Swolecast this year, most people are building their lineups by hand and not using optimizing tools. Like what are, how are you implementing these correlations or, or maybe not even from your own play? Let's, let's just talk from a, um, like a theoretical sense. Like what is the proper way to account for correlations when you're actually building your lineups? It, it should be, it should be uh, uh, some type of negative or positive boost in the projection. Cause we, we treat uh, projections uh, too many people treat projections as a number and not a range of outcomes. So all these, all these projections are really uh, standard, you know, normal distributions. Now, do players have normal distributions in sports? No. You know, every player will have a different standard deviation. So these distributions don't technically look the same. But for simplicity's sakes, it's, it's easier to conceptualize it as a normal distribution. So you have to think in terms of two players on the same team at efficient prices. Right, one's not underpriced for their projection. Like they're all they're just they're efficient. They're efficiently owned. They're efficiently everything. The likelihood of one having an, an 85th percentile outcome and the his teammate having an 85th percentile outcome when they're both when they're, most of their projection are based around points is going to be very low. Right, you're not, you're most likely one of them hits a ceiling. And the other one has a snowflake. Like it's going to be a, a full flame or a snowflake. Uh, but now players that rely more on peripheral points, non-counting stats, the dump rebounds, steals, blocks, assists, those other things, though they're more likely to be able to reach a ceiling without scoring many points. We see Draymond Green as a perfect example. Could have you know he could have ten real life points and sixty five fantasy points because he has a triple double with four steals and three blocks. Uh, so I don't necessarily, he's not as negatively correlated to someone like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or someone like that. So in between the play, you have to think in terms of how the teams operate. So if you're going to take someone that's, that shoots a lot on a team to, or a ball hog on a team, you probably in the same lineup for a GPP, don't want to play another player that relies heavily on shooting in order to reach their ceiling. So this is what I mean by in basketball, because the correlations are typically weak, it's more important to avoid negative correlations in your lineup than seek out positive ones. Seeking out positive ones are the, you know, if it's the play what you, whoever you want method. It's, it's, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I won a GPP $100,000 with Garrett Temple in my lineup. And people are like, why did you play Garrett Temple? It's like, well, I, I was playing one side of the game and I needed a small forward that was the 3,700. If I'm going to choose between, I look at my projections and I see all these the $3,700 small, fo- like they're all project pra- practically the same. Why not take, I have, I have D'Angelo Russell in my lineup and they're playing the Nets at the time. So I'm, I'm just going to, I'll take the, I'll take the more correlative piece. Even if it's a weak correlation, then just choose like, oh, this guy's projected for 0.2 more points median wise. It's like, no, I'm going to build, I'm going to, by default, 
And that's what I, what I mean by when you when you handled. So like if you're hand-building, that's what you'd be thinking of going, well, I'm putting this piece together. I'm going to play this guy because no one's paying up at center. And then I'm going to do this. And then you have this like last piece. You're like, well, I could choose between one of these six players. And it's like, well, either choose the one that's going to be lower owned. If they all seem equal enough to you, they're close enough. Pick the one that's either going to be lower owned or that's more correlative to your lineup. So what's more correlative to the lineup than that? Oh, the player from the other side of the game. And they go, I mean, it, it's not a, oh, I thought, I knew Darren Temple was going to put up 45 points that game. It's like, no, it just so happened that that made sense in that lineup. It could have been any other player, but it made sense to at least be a correlative piece. So how are you balancing play whoever you want in, in a sport? Like, because in NBA, you can just put out lineups that are stone dead, right? Because the projections in NBA are going to have a higher rsq than in anything and by like a lot right so like mlb you know it'll be like 0.2 for nfl if you're good it'll be like 0.5 uh but for nba you can have rsq of like 0.7 0.8 like really really high to these guys actual ranges of outcomes so you know and and if you have bad um nba projections it's very hard it's very hard to win you do need access to good project well you can probably you can probably have access to like just okay projections and do fine in single entry and three max, but for NME you will you'll get crushed. Um, but how are you how are you playing whoever you want in a sport where projections like matter a ton? Yeah, but, but we we're still talking about the fragility of projections from player to player. So obviously projections in NBA are more accurate because it's iterative scoring. I mean, there's no there's no event. It, guy can't if. If, uh, if a player's playing four minutes, like how do they, how do they score 30 points in four minutes? Like this, in a basketball game, that's nearly impossible to do. There's no home run. There's no touchdown. There's, you know, the, yeah. the best thing you could do on one play is a steal and a three-pointer. A rebound, a steal. I mean, like maybe you get seven points on one play if you're, if you're lucky. And if in four minutes, how, how much score? No, the, really the, the Andre Drummond, right? The Andre Drummond, the, the put back, the miss, the put back, the miss. I've seen, I, I actually have a, a very clear memory of DeMarcus Cousins doing that four times in a row um, when he was on the Kings a long time ago at like the end of a game when I desperately needed points from him. And he, he got like nine points on one possession doing that. Right. But I mean, the, the, I mean those things happen, but. If you're rostering, if you need to get like a 400 score in these large field GPPs, like you ain't winning with a, a $3,200 guy that played 14 minutes and got, you know, and got lucky and got 22 points. And like, you're still not yeah. winning with that. So like, you still need more raw points. So uh, projections, there's still, it, it's just because the projections are quote more accurate. We're, we're still talking about the differences. I could go any 10 game slate. And look through, you know, the 8K range players, the 9K range players. We got the Jimmy Butlers and the Bradley Beals and and uh, and uh, the Aaron Gordons or whoever, whoever it would be. And yes, some would project better than others, but better by what? Two points? Two median points? So in the grand scheme of like, if you're playing like cash games or stuff like that, like, yeah, two median points means a lot. Okay, because obviously, the, since the RSQ is going to be so much, so much higher, like you're gonna, if you're going to play 150 slates and give up two or three median points every single slate, like you're going to get crushed in cash games. You're going to, I mean, you, it's good. It, that's 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 what you need the projections for. But as far as it, between them, 
who puts up uh, yes their median is 42 their median is 38 but their range of outcomes is 22 to 65 it's like now what does the two median points matter as much so i usually take a look and i go i i win most of my money in nba gpps by playing guys that are two points lower projected but also like 30 percent less owned because of some quote perceived bad matchup or blowout risk or insert whatever kind of narrative that does make there it does make a difference i'm not saying that the matchups don't matter or that the blowout risk doesn't matter it's just that the field will treat it way higher percentage than what the than than what it actually is so yeah yes the team has a blowout risk so he has the reason why his projection is slightly lower is because we've given him one or two less minutes median wise but if the game is close and you move him up another two minutes he becomes the same play as the guy that's going to be 40 percent owned in gpps and i take a look at his projected ownership it's three percent so it's like is there a reason that this guy should be three percent and this guy should be 40 percent yes the guy that's 40 percent owned is a better play median wise two points better three points better but the range of outcomes is still so wide that like, why don't you just play the other guy? Like, what? And, and especially in, in NBA where uh, the construction advantage, it depends on the site that you play. I think NBA is one of the more interesting DFS games because the gameplay between sites, the two major ones, DraftKings and FanDuel, are so radically different. People don't realize yeah. it. Like, NFL, not as different. I know it's half PPR and you don't get the bonuses, but that's not that it still plays kind of the same, right? You just obviously uh, focus more on touchdown equity on FanDuel than you do on DraftKings. MLB kind of still plays about the same. Yes, you get a little bit more points for RBIs. There's a little bit more element of, you get more for stacking on FanDuel, but just slightly. But in NBA, like the, the, just the fact that of multiple positional eligibility on DraftKings versus none on FanDuel makes it like almost a diametrically like different game i mean let alone the scoring system obviously on fanduel they take away a, a point full point for turnovers and they give you an extra point for steals and blocks which means that obviously uh, a big men are more favored on fanduel and point guards are more favored on uh DraftKings because of the three-point bonus and the triple double 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 type of bonuses and you're not you're not negatively affected as much by turnovers but that mpe on DraftKings, you i mean if there's five value plays on a slate, you don't even have to worry about what positions they're at because they probably fit in any slot that you want because one guy's right. shooting guard, small forward, one guy's point guard, shooting guard, one guy's power forward center, and then you get the, the, the flex guard spot and the utility spot. Like, you could fit in whoever. I mean, you could play literally any lineup you want practically on, 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 on DraftKings. On FanDuel, you can't. You have to roster two small forwards. It doesn't matter. So... The, the gameplay as far as what what construction leverage you get on FanDuel is so much more important, even if this prices that like we typically have FanDuel, the salaries are softer. So that's the thing is FanDuel actually is like a little bit more interesting for, for tournaments and for lineup construction and for like ownership stuff than DraftKings because generally speaking, shooting guard and small forward are going to have like really limited high projected options, right? Just like that, because center is always great um, depending on how they assign eligibility power forward. Gener like actually, honestly, sometimes it's shooting guard, small forward and power forward where there are 
mega, mega chalky options. Like, for example, on a four-game slate where the Lakers play, like, you can just lock in that Anthony Davis is going to be 60 70% owned. Like, he just represents such a massive scoring advantage over the other power forwards. Um, I, I, since I won the Millionaire Maker on FanDuel, uh, I, I haven't You're going to still use played. that as a credit. I, th- I, think oh, yeah. use, I think using that as a credit is egregious. People, well, you'd people be wrong. wanted a Davis Maddox impersonation. That's the best I could do. <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't play much GPP MME on FanDuel. I play um, mostly the single entry stuff there just because like, I don't have that much brain space to MME on DraftKings and FanDuel and play cash and do single entry. So I just, generally speaking, we'll do one um, single entry team on FanDuel. But how much, like how deep can you, because in NFL, you could fade Dalvin Cook at 70% ownership or whatever and just be drawing super live, right? Like just because he can get hurt. He can only get 18. You know, you can get uh, like Antonio Gibson the other night when he got injured, he showed us a great example of this. He was the highest projected running back, uh, him and Snell by five points or whatever on FanDuel. Um, but you like he got no, he got injured. He got, he left the game. Um, and you, you couldn't, you needed to not have Gibson to win. But on in basketball, it's it is a little bit trickier to like fade Anthony Davis, who's projected twelve points better than every power forward, even at you know truly absurd ownership. Uh, so how do you deal with that stuff on FanDuel? Well, for the expensive players, it's a little bit different. I think at NBA, it's more likely that based on load management and injuries, that you know the that salaries in NBA are the most inefficient salaries on most slates because. They make the salaries the night before and inevitable six out of seven days of the week. There's some news that makes other players like egregious. And you, you, you thought it was, you thought it was bad before um, this year with COVID stuff and with like the, the, it's a compacted season. It's going to be like April NBA, but for the whole season, like it's going to be insane. Right. But for that reason, you get, you get the situation where, uh, you know, I mean, we always see it with the Bucks. with, you know, Giannis sits and he represents such a big part of their distribution pie that like Middleton is now underpriced and Bledsoe is underpriced. I know he's not there anymore, but I mean, like all the other Bucks end up underpriced. Ilyasova's minimum price. And it's, it's those things that once you add the minutes, once you take out Giannis's 30 minutes and his, his uh, 32% usage, and all of that, it's like, it's a basketball game. They're not going to stand still. In football, like, they could go three and out, and, like, no one on the team gets there. In basketball, like, points are going to be scored. I mean, even the worst team is going to get as many possessions. They're going to go down and miss a shot, but they still are going to start accumulating points regardless. So the, the overall salary of an entire team ends up becoming, like, like as long as these guys get minutes. I mean, we've seen situations – uh, where where several players from a team will be out and they're running a six-man rotation and the hot, and the most expensive player on the team is 4,400. And you're like, if they yeah. score 70 points this game, like four players out of, this, out of them are going to be on the GPP winning lineup because it's almost inevitable that it happens because like the points, the, the points have to go somewhere. So in those situations where you get the, the, the you know, Kyrie, is sitting and Dinwiddie is they left at 5,200 or something. 
where now he's just going to walk into 34 to 36 minutes and the highest usage because Irving's out. Uh, like the, the success rate, if you simulated it out, like Spencer Dinwiddie should be $8,000, but he's 5,200. So his success, his, his success at hitting a target score that wins a GP, that it becomes a necessary piece in a GPP on that slate could end up being 60, 70% which is like ridiculously high for DFS. So if you have a, if you have a, if you're on a 10 game slate and there's one guy that's $3,000 underpriced that has a 70% chance at being on the winning GPP lineup, you see what, what sharp players do. They nearly lock them in because like you can't, you're not going to find the next player with the, that success rate is going to be like 34%. Like that's 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 going to be the next underpriced the best play of the slate is going to be like two times less that so it's like why don't I just take the seventy percent chance of success and then you see in a large field contest that even that player is still only sixty two percent owned and I know sixty two percent sounds like he's mega owned but he's still under owned because the success rate is seventy percent so uh, in typically in those situations uh, you just eat the chalk and build around it. Or if you want to get frisky in the lineups that don't have that player, that that's when you play the guy that's negatively correlated. That's when you play the backup point guard because he's going to get a foul trouble, or you're going to play the shooting guard because, you know, he's going to get all the shots. And of course, all of those other guys end up becoming extremely under owned because everyone's playing that one guy that's, you know, as a 70% success rate. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think, I think that's good NBA construction chatter. Like I think that should be a good overview for building lineups that are not dead in, in the NBA in 2020, 2021. For, well, for we could have these, these Des Bryant, you know, gets COVID on the day of type of 10 minutes before the game type of things. We could see it. I'm dude. I can't. I'm so I needed uh, I was um, Ezekiel Elliott one dump off versus Amari Cooper from binking the $3 play action last night um, for like a, like an eight way chop. And then the Amari Cooper team was like a 76 way chop. And uh, obviously Cooper uh, gets the, gets the touchdown on the second to last drive. So I'm, I'm a little still, still chopped, right? You still got that chop. Yeah, but it was like an eight hundred dollar chop instead right, of like it's a negative EV team. Why'd you build it? You 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 made a mistake before the game even started. No, no, I I had super sharp teams because I was one of the people that got their um, re-ran swap with Des Bryant and Miles um, Boykin in. So okay. I was plus EV, buddy. Actually, let's let's talk real quick before let's talk real quick about showdown. Um, how much are you playing? Are you single entering? Are you three maxing? Are you MMEing? What are you? What are you doing for for Showdown? Uh, I don't play many entries for Showdown. I mean, I I do play Showdown, uh, mostly NFL Showdown. Although I will play NBA Showdown during the playoffs, uh, soccer Showdown once in a while. I mean, I don't I don't focus that much on Showdown because like I I, I gear myself towards large field GPPs, and for Showdown it. It's essentially a winner take all contest. If you you either has the yeah. have the first yeah, place there's lineup. there's no there's no point if you if you don't win. Well, okay, so that's true. If you don't win, you uh, lose money. Or 
I've done this a couple times where you take super aggressive stances on like, there's been slates where I've locked in like two players. Like let's say on a, a chief slate, I lock in Mahomes and Tyreek and I don't hit the optimal, but like a hundred of my 150 teams cash. So you end up making a little bit of money that way. That's, that is very uncommon though. No, but that, that, that is what I do at a, at a lower entry amount. So for instance, uh, I played a lot of MMA uh, during during the, the the summer, you know, when we had no sports, yeah. and then MMA came back, and MMA contests are very similar to Showdown. Like, it, either you have the first place lineup, or you're losing money. So, uh, those types of contests are going to be absurdly high variance. You could you could play 150 plus EB teams and lose three months straight. I mean, like it, it it's it's buddy, it, I've done it. <laughs> right. Well, everyone has. Uh, Drewby has done it. I mean, it's 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 going to be high variance play. You're gonna lose a lot of money in the process of winning once. I had a sweat for MMA for a three-way chop of a milli for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It was a very low percentage chance it was gonna hold after the, the last fight, but like it was I had a lineup that had only th- two duplicates. So like that, I'm only gauging it by that. But you could lose a lot of money in the process. And the more entries you put in, now you're even increased. Now you're increasing your swings even more. So what I've been doing for Showdown, I, 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 I've always said I'm not an MME player. I play an MME style. But on an NFL Sunday, I'm not playing 150 entries into the slant. I'm playing 70, right? In MLB, you know, you used to t- – you in, when we're back in the Fantasy Insiders days, you used to tilt all the time. I'd win some MLB thing with, like – like 15 lineups and because yeah, you're in it you'd be like tilting your nuts off because it's like no well because i'm not going to play 150 i'm going to play 20 i'm going to play 30 i'm going to take the best teams that i want to play and then just play 30 of them so that's what i do for showdown like uh, I'll, I'll just say i'm going to play 40 lineups 20 in the 20 in the three mat in the 20 max 20 in the the big you know whatever 500k to first whatever but i'm going to decide i'm going to take a stand Instead of, instead of like, oh, I'm going to try to get all different types of outcomes, it's just going to be like, okay, um, I'm going to pick two captains. I'm going to say, well, I'm not playing quarterback in the captain. I'm just going to, I'm going to plug in Kel- – I have to pick between Kelsey or Tyreek. I'm like, okay, I'm picking Kelsey. So that means I'm kind of like Xing out Tyreek completely, playing Kelsey and the captain in like 30 out of the 40 lineups and then trying to make as many uh, combinations as possible that I believe are plus EV and less duplicated. And if Kelsey's the winning captain, then – I, I've only spent like 200 to 300 bucks. So if I'm duplicated a little too much, like it's the, okay, it's not that bad because first place could still be, you know, $16,000. And like, that's, that's not that bad. And I could take a little bit more risks because, you know, what's the worst thing that happens? I get, I, I lose 300, but I'm not losing 1500 on taking that risk. So like I, I sacrifice a lot of my play in all sports, in NBA, in MLB, I'm not playing 150 lineups. I'm still, I'm still using an optimizer. I'm still having a strategy. I'm still, you know, playing more than one lineup. I'm playing more than 20 lineups, but I don't want to have the the pressure. Even maybe it's a, maybe it's more of a psychological thing of if I play 150 entries every day, like I need to bink, like I need to bink once a year just to break even. Like, you gotta, yeah, you gotta, you gotta hit, you gotta hit the, the top one twice a year to be profitable if you're playing 150 every day. Right. But the way that I play, all I have to do is if I hit it once, just once, I'm double the profit of anyone. Like, that's all I have to do. 
So like this year, like was not that great of a year, but I hit, I, I binked once and that's all. And that, that's it. I'm, I'm done. And then I've every year that I played since 2016, I've binked at least one, if not two, but my profit graph doesn't show huge swings in it, but that's because I'm not playing $1,500 of GPP entries every day. I'm only playing $500 of GPP entries every day. So my 500 turns into 340. Sometimes it turns into 620. Sometimes it turns into zero. Sometimes it turns into 20 bucks. But when it, when it does hit 20,000, 50,000, like that's exponentially more than if I'm playing $1,500 a day. Now, uh, you can, I could play that. It's just, obviously the swings are going to be much bigger. I mean, the swings that I've had, I've tweeted them out. I'm very transparent with my results that, you know, how, how, uh, how are you going to handle a $30,000 downswing? Playing well, like not, this is not like, oh, I'm not playing well. No, this is playing well. And you have a $30,000. And, and understand that if I'm playing three times as much volume by maxing out these contests, those swings would be $90,000 swings. So I have to think in terms of how, would I, how am I going to be able to take a $90,000 swing? And my attitude is, uh, is it worth, yes. I, if I could survive the $90,000 swings, I will end up with more money at the end of it because I've, I, I, I believe I have a skill advantage. Uh, am I willing to reduce the amount of money I make by a little bit, but also reduce the stress and reduce the swings? Like I, I consider myself a nit in that way. Like I'm not a nit in my style of play. I play very risky in GPP, but bankroll wise, I, I play a very small percentage of my bankroll because that's yeah, the nittiness. I, I, I do that. I do that too. Like I, I, if I ever get 5% of my account in play, it's because I got like a really good head to head. Like someone bad wants to play me at a one K or something like that would be the only, that would be the only time I would push it because like you just, you can't, even if you think you're fifty three forty seven, you can't you can't pass that up. Um, yeah, but you're not fifty three forty seven in that case. You think you're like sixty eight thirty two. So why no, and it well well in NFL no, like in NFL you're you're really never that big of a favorite. Like it's just the nature of the game. Like the the median projections are just so close, and there's so much randomness in the way that NFL games happen. Like I play bad people because of the Gill cast. I get head to head invites from people all the time, and yeah, I mean, like, I probably win against those people at, like, a 60% clip or whatever, but on any, like, but that's over 16 weeks, right? So, like, over 16 weeks, I can punish someone, like, just, and I'm not even saying me, just someone who, like, uses the Daily Road Optimizer can punish someone who's not using projections pretty hard because they'll they'll just miss things, they'll make mistakes that they don't even realize they're making, but that doesn't mean in any given week if someone's, like, if, if one of the people who plays me for $50 wants to send me a 500 one week instead of a 50, um, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm probably 53.47 in a, in a maybe 55.45. Well, you wouldn't, in, you wouldn't be 53.47. Week. You wouldn't play if you were 53.47. You'd lose to the rake. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm about, I'm a, like over six years now or whatever, I'm about 6% ROI in DraftKings cash games, which okay, is, which is good. That's a, that's a good, it, which ROI. is, which is good. But that also, that all I, I, in 2018 and 2019, I was down. So that's including like, you know, that's including like ripping off, um, you know, like probably 
I don't know, I would guess in like 2016, I was probably like 14% or something because the games were just a lot different then. Yeah, the, games were, um, the games were softer and also the stakes level. Like I, I, yeah, my ROI in the, the, the one to $3 games was like 15%, but I can't play them anymore. So like, like I can't, I can't consider like, okay, well, what the, is that part of my normal ROI now? I think, I think the biggest uh, thing that we're, we're seeing that we've seen, this is not anything new, is that, uh, and it's why when, when people ask me that they're starting out, it's like, I, I, I don't think you should be playing cash games. I, I think double ups, I think. Well, with, if you, if that, like, because I, mean, I can still play, I can still play the one to $3 games. Um, and yeah, like my ROI is, is very good in those. Con- I, I, I am like, I've wanted to email DraftKings this year and be like, how close am I to hitting the cap? But like, I don't want to know. Cause like, I just know that day is going to be look a brutal at day for tracker. me. You could see whenever you hit 1 million in entries. The rotor tracker stuff, I don't. It's not. Um, it's not always a hundred percent. Like it's always missing some stuff. I I've found in my experience. Right, but um, I'm saying. But at the point that I'm making is that, like, at the one to three dollar level, and I, I I answered an email like this of someone that's like that. Well, oh, I want to play professionally for a living type of thing, uh, and I'm like, okay, they max you out at fifty games at each stakes level on DraftKings at least. Obviously you can well, play. No, 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 like, that's not, that's not true. You can play an unlimited number of double ups because there's more rake there, but you're maxed out at 50 head to heads and 50 fifties. Right. But I mean, it depends on the slate on how many of those there are. So, so a lot of times uh, if you're just going to play one to $3 contests, like you're going to get maxed out at like five, 600 bucks or so. Like somewhere around there. Yeah, but how many people? How many people are even trying? Like my guess of people who are playing more than five hundred dollars in cash games on DraftKings any given week, that number is less than a thousand people in the whole world. Right, but the point that the point that I'm making is that if you're if you're expected ROI, if you're really good, and you have a fifteen percent ROI, which I think is even high now, like. My fifteen percent. No, no, no one has fifteen percent in DraftKings cash games. Maybe FanDuel cash games, but DraftKings cash games are just there. I will say this: if I did not do the Gilcast every Sunday, I I don't know how much DK cash I would be playing. Honestly, the games are so tough. Right, because everyone has access to good. Anyone that plays cash games is typically good enough to understand projections and is good. At, I mean, cash games attract those types of people the the random joe schmoes aren't playing double ups they aren't playing any of those types of things but the point that i'm making is that even let's say you have a 10 percent roi in low stakes cash and you play 500 of volume a day your expected return is 50 bucks so you count up 50 bucks every day and you're like like how much time have you put into this that you're like let's say you're 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 spending eight hours a day on, on, on doing this. I mean, you're talking about six, a little bucks, a little bit over $6 an hour. It's like, you'd be better off just getting a minimum wage job somewhere than, than play cash games at that level. Now, if your goal is to, I want to get good enough at cash games so that I could play empire maker and beat him. Like, okay, that's a different story. Well, that now you're, now your goal is like, no, yeah, you people have, people have, um, yeah, that's a good point is people have a lot of different motivations for, for playing um not everyone not everyone looks at it and we talked about this last time you were on the show but not everyone looks at it it's like oh i i want to make uh twenty thousand dollars playing dfs this year like some people just like to be profitable like personally for me i just like love grinding like grinding dfs brings me so much dopamine and serotonin like it just it makes me happy to be 
you know, making swaps and post, like, I just, I just get a rush out of it. Like it just, it, it makes me happy. And so if at the end of the year, like, th- I mean, this year is not a good example because I am running like way, way above expectation and everything. But like, let's say, let's say next year at the end of the year, I grinded, I spent all this time and I, I make, let's say I make $4,000 for like a 1.5% ROI, like after rake and everything. Honestly, like, sure, it's, it's burnt time, but like, I'm enjoying my time on earth doing it. Yeah, but you're also getting paid to do other stuff. I mean, that's related to it. So like, that's, yeah, that's, and, the main, and, that's, yeah, the that's main a good reason. point. I look at, I look at all, uh, to me, I view all of what I do to be part of my play because it's all, it's, it's, um, it's repurposing content, essentially. It sounds weird to say that me playing is a piece of content. Now, it's not a public piece of content, but in order for me to play an NBA slate or an NFL slate, yeah, like, you, I have to do the work because I'm playing. So any type of content that I make, if I'm on a show, if I'm on the ASA show with Stuart Gibson, if I'm on the Theory of DFS podcast with Eric Beinfor and we're talking about the slate, it's all like I need, I'm playing. Like I have money invested. Like I'm... I'm going to be playing $8,000 of volume on, on Sunday. So I have to do the work anyway. So if someone's willing to pay me to come on to talk for an hour about the same thing that I'm looking at anyway, to me, it's I'm repurposing the same time I'd be using. The course that I have is all of the knowledge that I've talked about on streams and shows. It's not anything new and it's not anything that's groundbreaking. It's stuff that Bales has talked about before. It's stuff that Peter Jennings and Drew Dinkmeyer and Leone and, all, all, all good content creators. It's just, here's a little package of me and James McCool uh, teach him in a constructive manner so you don't have to piece things together. So you could learn about all these concepts and it's a 15-hour course that you could come back to at any time. To me, that's, that's me repurposing the same things that I've learned in, in five years of playing DFS. So if I can monetize that on top of it, it's, it's part of my overall play like you could you could make four thousand dollars in play for for the year but that's in addition to all of the content that you put out like you're you're playing you're doing the work and you're also publicly putting out content so to me it's all one thing together so i don't necessarily view that like quote touting like oh if if you're bad at dfs that's those only people that 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 tout it's like no it's a it's a revenue stream now uh, there, there are yeah. people that make more at the, that revenue stream than they do playing. And there are people that make more at the revenue stream doing that and they lose playing. Those are how much weight do you want to put into someone that loses at the game and still provides content? That's up to you. I have my own personal opinions. There. I, I do. I do think by the way that people can lose and still give good content. I, I, I think that I like disagree there can... with you. I disagree with you completely. Well, that's because that's because you don't care about picking the best place. Like that as just doesn't, that just doesn't matter. As long as I have a model that's accurate, what do I yeah. care about the sport? But there, there are people who are not good at um, figuring out leverage, not good at figuring out line then, of construction. Then, uh, then who Davis, are, who have Davis? Then that's perfectly fine. So put out your fantasy football content. Don't put the words daily in there. Don't put DFS in there. We're not playing the same games. So no, free, but they're like, for example, to put out like, your snap counts and your wide receiver. I see these wide receiver cornerback matchups and you know what? Anytime. Hey, aren't any, you if, worried? Blender, aren't you worried, buddy? No, but Davis, the point that I'm making is that for instance, how much, how much stock would you put into someone's article 
that they write of top DFS plays or their take on a DFS slate, and they're, they're mentoring wide receiver cornerback matchups. I, it's, it's one of those types of things that you burn me once. It's very similar to comedy. I could watch a comedian that I've never seen before. I've worked, I work around when I used to do, I used to tour around. I saw one guy uh, uh, I'd never heard of before. I was, he was a headliner. He was touring around. And I'm like, this guy is great. Why isn't this guy like on TV and stuff? And then I, and halfway through set, I heard him do the exact joke that my friend that I work with. I mean, like, like verbatim. Sometimes you can get into parallel thinking and it's like, it's close. So it's like, no, he, sure. he stole that joke. So you know what? I have to discount all the other material that he ever had. I mean, like now I have to discount everything because it's just who knows who, what joke that did he write that or did he steal it from someone that that I that I just never heard of and whatever and stuff like that. So to me, I view content in the same way of like if you're a losing player, I don't care about your DFS opinions because like the bat the the sports stuff is already in the projections. You can feel free to explain the projections to me, but I already have the answers to the test, so I don't need you anymore. So any type of strategies you have, if you're going to start uh, uh, mentioning, you know, uh, narratives, you know, like, like, like BS type of stuff that is, has no correlation, imagine, imagine having an article that's like, uh, on every third Wednesday, James Harden does well. It's like, what does that matter? How am I supposed to take any of your content seriously now? Obviously, you're a losing player because no winning player thinks like this. So, so your 500-word article, what, why... Why should I even read it at all? Like, like and nothing in the art, like literally nothing. Because once you start, once you make fundamental DFS mistakes and you don't even, if you can show that you're profitable, at least I have the, at least you have the, you have that little mantelpiece of, there are plenty of profitable players that I look at their play and go, I don't understand how they win, but they've been winning. But also, okay, years, let so me, I, let me give you, let me give you, let me give you an example then. Um, let's say a person that you and I both think is, is bad, right? Like the stuff they say on Twitter, the stuff they say um, in front of the paywall, we're like, this is just, none of it makes sense. You're looking at all the wrong shit. It's super noisy. Um, and then they, like, let's say they, they win a qualifier and they, they win, like, let's say the $100 spy for 50K or something. Like then, then what, right? Then are they, are they a winning player? Like, I, I think that, Again, the samples we're dealing with are still like you just said, win once a year, and that's good for you. Like, you know, I, you I win, think can, there's can some. You win once a year. How much volume are you playing? How much? I mean, yes, people who are people who are bad can win once a year. Of course, I I, I absolutely agree. the The point that I'm making is that if you sh- show me your roto tracker graph and show me that line that's above zero, and now you're more likely to be that to have that there's there's something that you're you have more likely shot of me giving a crap about what what you're talking about like it's it's not a yes or and it's not binary it's not like well uh, i want a hundred thousand dollars a year so everything i say is is gospel it's like no but it's more likely to be than someone that's lost a hundred if you show me a roto tracker graph of the past six years and it's in the red like the entire time what's the likelihood that your dfs advice is sound like it's it's less likely but if you show it above then it's more likely does it yes there are instances obviously it's it's a very small sample size type of thing especially nfl but when you're talking about nba or mlb if you've played if you've played 150 slates a year for five years 750 slates and your 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 graph is just a, a constant down thing 
Like you're a bad day. Like, the likelihood of you actually being bad and not just unlucky over 750 slates is obviously lower. It's that that's that's the point that I'm making of that if you're a losing DFS player, I don't care about your DFS. I don't care about your DFS advice. Feel free to have fantasy advice and start stint or whatever. I don't claim to be good at season long. I don't play season long. I can't give any opinions on season. You long. should though. We talked about this last time. You're giving up edges, man. Like this is uh like not playing not playing best ball is is like such a leak dude like you don't even have to be good you just got to follow some preset rankings and not draft like uh, some obviously bad picks and you'll right. like i look i look at, I, I read some of your stuff i read I, I look around at the best ball season long type of stuff i understand structured drafting i understand that you know the concept of zero or i i'm like i get that from a from a game strategy perspective it's just a matter of how much time and money do i want to commit to it and I mean, I give up edges all the time by like, okay, I'm not going to play this soccer slate today, even though I could, but I just, I don't imagine, like imagine it. not play, buddy. Imagine not playing a soccer slate. I, I don't play. I don't play. I, most of the champions league slates I've not played this year. Wow. I can't, you're making me sick. But if I, if I can't, I, this comes back to my nittiness of if I don't feel like I'm all in on, like, I feel like I'm comfortable putting in my money. Good that I just rather not put it in. Like, I'm not going to just half-ass. Yeah, like, I mean, I definitely half-ass some soccer slates, for sure. But, right, but it's I, fun. It, it, but it's I fun. don't. I, I, I'm refusing to do that. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that I can improve my ROI by, like, half a percent or a full percent if I would just skip some slates where I don't have full-time. Like, I'm going to play this um, Ajax... Atalanta showdown or this Liverpool Michelin showdown slate in like 45 minutes. And it's just going to be button clicking. Yeah, but why? So that, that you have to, you have to solve that. Cause, problem. cause I'm, cause I'm going to, cause I'm going to put that game on in the background. Um, while I work on projections later. And, uh, if I bink a lucky goal early, then I'll have something to sweat this afternoon. Yeah, I have the sweat see, equity. That's, that's the difference between, between how I play and how a lot of other people play. And I understand that difference when people say to me, I don't want to play like you play because it's not fun. I go, to me, it, to, to me, the fun is the intellectual challenge and me making money off of it. Like, uh, my, my response to so many people is, like, this is, this is why I'm, I'm anti-take. I'm anti-selecting players. I'm anti-predicting outcomes. Because uh, people, people come to me and, 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 and say, oh, you know, because uh, we're talking throughout the week. And people will beat their chest on Twitter, especially. They'll go, I called so-and-so. Right, I called David Montgomery in cash. Davis didn't play him. I called him, you know, like that type of what thing. A, what a fish I am. Right, you know. Right, I know. It's more of an art. I know. Uh, uh, but, like, to me... Wait, when, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get... What, what, what did you think of Austin Eckler last week? I thought it was a bad play. Oh, I fucking hate you. I, 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 needed you to, I needed you to be on my side here. No, on, on the Gilcast, uh, let me just tell you, on the Gilcast, 90, probably 97% of the time, I'm with Nate. Like on, but here's the thing, you, though. You listen to all the episodes. You could replace Nate with me, and I'd be saying the same thing. Nate, well, I guess the thing to Nate's credit, he builds his own stuff. So, like, his projections are oftentimes going to be a point or two off from the stuff that I'm looking at, and which I mean, honestly, is probably the right way to do it. Um, so he he can get <laughs> off of the he can get off of the group think stuff easier than I can for sure. Eckler wasn't a bad play though. For the construction? Yeah, I'd rather play James Robinson. 
James well, Robinson oh, yes. projected. No, so that is that is okay. I can't even I can't even talk. We can't talk about this because I can't talk about how much money I've lost not playing um, James Robinson. So this this is something I want to talk to you about uh, for sure. We've been talking for a long time. So you you do a lot of MME, and I was talking at the beginning of the show how I've had a lot better results this year than last doing less MME for main slates. I still MME for showdown and for two game slates and stuff. Um, I've had just way better results playing single entry and three max on FanDuel and DraftKings, and I think there's a couple reasons for this. First, um, the correlation problem and like the I, the the clumping problem, right? The 150th lineup problem. Where like you just are you're having to do so many specific things and rules that doing a good MME run for 150 teams is very difficult. And then also, you know, your opponents are are con, are constrained by the same things you are and chalk becomes even more chalky in single entry and three max contests. So somewhat like, let's say uh, min price running back, Brian Hill is 30% owned in the Millie maker, but 60% owned in the spy Devonte Adams goes from 30% to 45%. So if you are a person who tries to not play really super chalky, heavily duplicated lineups, you're going to have a, you're going to feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, just not playing the chalk in those contests. So I'm, I'm wondering, is it just that the money is not there for you? Is it just that your, your process, uh, works way better for MME? Like, why are you not playing these single entry and three max contests? I mean, I do, but they're not my focus. Uh, I don't, like I said before, I don't MME. Like I'm, I'm not playing 150 entries. I'm playing 50 entries. So like in NBA, when this starts back, I'm the main GPP, I may only play 40 entries, but I'm also not playing duplicated entries. So if I play a 20 max, those are going to be 20 different lineups than the 40 that I have in this other contest. So in total, I may play 100 lineups, but only have $700 worth of volume in total amongst 100 lineups, but they're all for very similar field sizes. So like the 20 max is the similar field size to the $15 contest, which is similar to the, the big, you know, $8, three max content. They all have like at least five figures to first place. So it's like, I'm just going, give me first place at any of these. And like, I'm good. So uh, in the single entry and three max stuff, the main difference that it comes down to is in any competitive endeavor, whether it be poker or, or any, anything, I want to play against the weakest people. Like by the, the number one thing that will determine your ROI more than anything else is how weak your opponent is. If I'm playing, if I'm going to go to a card room and there's 30 tables there, I'm going to sit at the table that, ha that has the most action with the weakest players. So like no matter what game it is, if it's PLO, I'm playing PLO. If it's stud, I'm playing stud. If it's Omaha high-low, I'm playing, I'm playing 30-60 Omaha high-low. It doesn't matter to me. Just show me the weakest players because I don't have to worry. If, as long as I'm the best player at the table, I'm going to make the most amount of money. So uh, if you go to a table that, that yes, it's higher stakes, it's easy, yes, it's easier for me to predict. I could sit at a table with, with eight other good poker players and one really bad one, and does that one bad one lose enough? that the entire rest of the table can eat. A lot of times it doesn't. And yes, I could, I could, uh, I could anticipate good players moves. Like they're obviously not raising with garbage in this spot. And they're obviously not doing this in this spot. And because they know I do this, I, we, it's, it's a, it's a more strategic game because I could think about what the other person is thinking about against bad players. You could sit at a table and just like, I'm just going to wait for aces. 
right? All I have to do is wait for aces. Someone's going to someone's gonna three bet all in me for no apparent reason because it happens every other hand in this table. I've been at those, I've been at those games where it's, it's a, it's a five, it's a two, five, no limit game with a straddle. And by, you know, every, every pot is four bet a hundred. It's just basically a bunch of degenerates just trying to get it all in before the flop six ways. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm just going to wait for a good hand and, and put it in good and, and whatever. But why, why should I be playing any other game? So I take a look to translate into DFS and I take a look at the fields of uh, the, the the game changer, $1,500 game changer, or I take the look at the field for the Wildcat or the $100 Spy, and I just download the CSV and just take a look at the name and compare it to the result. And you go, go 90% of the people playing this contest are people that I would consider to not be bad, that, that, that are not bad enough for me to even have much of any of an edge over. Then you download the CSV of whatever the, 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 the play action, the 20, uh, 20 max or an NBA or MLB, whatever the big, you know, the $10, whatever GPP, you download that and you look at the bottom 20% of lineups and you see onesies and twosies of lineups that you wonder if they just fell asleep on the keyboard. Like how did this lineup get in here? Why would that the, they have a relief pitcher and a, and a, and a guy that's on the DL uh, in their lineup. I mean, and you take a look through here, you have uncorrelated ones. And then you also have ones that are cash lineups that you get a ton in those large field of that. They don't understand the difference between they, I'm going to plug in the best plays and why haven't I won a million dollars and they're sitting around the cash line. So you take a look at that 1.5 X line and you see tons of cash lineups. Those lineups have virtually no shot at winning first place. They have a good, great shot at min cash and great. Good for you. God bless you. So in combination with all of those lineups, the rake to me is paid for already. Like there's enough of those lineups that have virtually to no first place equity, which is all I care about in, in large field GPPs. So once you could say that, yeah, the rake is 15%, but more than 15% of the lineups have like, you put it in and you might as well just, just flush your money down the toilet. Like why won't, why shouldn't I play those contests versus playing uh, a 200 man small field contest where, where 180 of the entries are like, you look at the lineups and go, okay, I understand this lineup. I understand this lineup. I understand this lineup. Oh, they, they played the chalk, but they got off. Like, like there's no, like there's not as many bad lineups. So although the variance of playing the large field is the type yeah, of I mean, thing where I'm playing every day and I'm losing, 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 I'm losing bink. And there's all my profit but I'm going to make more money that way because I'm playing against, uh, to me, the rake is being paid for and, and I'm showing a profit. It's just that it takes longer. It takes a longer sample size to realize in the single entry three max, you feel like you're winning more often because it's smaller field. And if you come in, you know, 80th place, you get a three X payout and it's kind of like, Oh, this, the game makes more sense. You're what, what people that are saying, I'd rather play against, I'd rather play the single entry three max than the large field lottos is the, to me, equivalent to saying in poker, I'm going to play at higher stakes because they, yeah, you want to move up to where they respect your races. Right. Well, so this is uh, the, the argument against that is you could be playing against people who are good, but it doesn't mean that they are playing optimally in those contests. I think a lot of the time, like I know for a fact, a lot of the times what you'll see is when you see people you think are good playing in those contests, it's their cash team in there. And, um, 
you know, again, it doesn't really matter who is putting the lineups in, right? It doesn't matter if it's uh, Osimo. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, whoever you think the best players are putting the lineups in. If in the contest, cumulatively, the way everyone else in there is playing with you is suboptimal. Maybe the rake is not being paid to the extent that it's getting paid in the millionaire maker, in the play action, in the slant, with these teams that are just totally dead. But you're realizing your equity more often and you are still playing against people playing suboptimal for that contest, right? No, no, still- I, I, I agree with you completely. It's just a matter of what are you prioritizing? Like, just like you said with DK and FanDuel for NBA, I do very similar to you. Like, I'll multi-entry on DK, but play one single-entry uh, GPP lineup on FanDuel because just I, I just don't, I don't have the headspace to manage and build 100 lineups on both sides. So at some point, for me at least, I need to prioritize. Other people don't have to. Other people could be like, well, I'm going to play 150 here, 150 there. I'm going to play single entry there. I'm going to play cash. And you're playing on Yahoo and you're playing all, all at the same time. There are some people could do that well. I, anytime I try to do that, I'm giving up. Like I have to, I'm ending up screwing up somewhere and I'm not looking. It, it, it ends up being I'm doing half-ass on all these things at once rather than going like all in on one thing so to me, it's just a matter of priority. I do the same. Th- I take advantage when I play single entry three max contests in NFL or NBA or MLB. And I'm playing, I, I, I tell people, I typically play much more contrarian. It sounds weirder to people. I play contra- more contrarian in single entry three max than I do in, in large field. And they go, what do, you, what do you mean? It's like, no, my whole lineup doesn't have to be contrarian, but I'm more likely if Dalvin Cook is going to be 70% owned in this in this single entry contest while only being 40% owned in large field like that makes it more likely that I'm playing Justin Jefferson in single entry because the amount of relative right. value I could get is so much more in single entry but once I make that pivot once I take that leverage point and go is it worth playing 70% on Dalvin Cook no I'm going to play the negatively correlated player to him Thielen or Jefferson Maybe I'm playing a cousin stack. Maybe I'm playing a run back to that on the other side of the game. But once I do that, the rest of my lineup is Chalk City. I mean, like the rest of my I don't. I've done all I needed to do. In, in large field GPPs, if you do that, you're now only gaining 30%. You still have to find another leverage point. So, yes, there is an edge in those contests because of, of the field playing suboptimally. But... It's a matter of how much do, that you focus on it. I'm still, I'm still playing those contests. It just obviously, I'm more of my time because, you know, I'm building 50, 100 lineups and I'm playing cash games. So I have to choose what, you know, median lineup I want to play for that. Typically in cash games, that lineup I choose in, in 60 seconds. Like that's, people ask me like, like, no, like cash lineup, I could build, like how much time does it take you to build a cash lineup? I mean, maybe you're considering a 2v2 or something like that. But outside of that, like, you could do that at 12.45, 15 minutes before the, the, the lock. And, like, how many choices are there? There aren't that many choices to make. If you think there are, then you're not a very good cash player because there's only so many combinations of, of the, the best plays that there could be. And then you're going to obviously run. Yeah, you just got to play, play, play James Robinson. That's well, the skeleton, Well, if you play team. a construction, Davis, with a 7K running back, you play James Robinson, who has guaranteed volume, then – then uh, everyone worrying about one game sample size. How do you protect, well, Austin? Well, well, How do we'll you protect see. Austin Eckler for 22% of targets and 80% of rushes just based on one game with no Kalen Balazs? 
We'll, we'll see how much everyone believes that stuff about Eckler this week when they play the Falcons. My, my suspicion is that everyone who was uh, railing on the Austin Eckler projections is going to see a, a, real, a real change of heart this week. Well, maybe because his projection is better this week. <laughs> It'll be the exact same, and people will just, have got, they'll just get a better result this week than they got last week? No, well, the projection will be better because there's no other running backs to play, so why not play him? I'm, I'm, I was working on projections before you and I started this, and I, I actually just moved him from uh, – I, I actually have him below his season average in targets, um, and I, I did for the Patriots game, and I'll move him down maybe 1% for this game, but he's still going to be the best value because he's Austin Eckler. I, I, I'm most probably going to play him this week. It, it's all relative, Davis. It's all re- – when you have other 5K running backs to play, then – and it's different. If if Austin Eckler's seven K and there's no one worth the shit playing, right? Are you gonna play? Are you gonna pay sixty five hundred for David Montgomery? You you wouldn't play a dollar for David Montgomery. So it doesn't even matter what his price. Hey, buddy, this is a, this is a great ending to the show. I played him on FanDuel where it makes sense. Right. Uh, everyone, make sure to uh, go to thetheoryofdfs.com. You want ten percent off? Use the promo code Takecast. Link to that is below, and we will be back next week. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.